The Sons of God. The making of the Storm Lord Trilogy series. Who were the Sons of God and how did they play a part in the writing of my Storm Lord Trilogy series, A Paranormal Romance? Now, listen. There were giants on the earth in those days and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto men's daughters, and they had children to them, the same became strong men, which were of old times, men of notoriety. Welcome everyone to my show today. I'm your host, Sidney St. James. This being the next to the last episode of season two, I kind of wanted to start going out with a bang. And I thought about how I turned to Genesis 6 in the Bible five years ago to learn about angels. And the reason I wanted to learn about angels was because I was going to write a three book series, a paranormal romance the first romance of my career. And I wanted it to start and I wanted it to go out with a bang. And I think I did it. Of course, you'll have to probably go buy them and read them, <laughs> but still. So I wanted to tell you today why I went to Genesis 6 and what gave me the inspiration and the want to to design my book around that particular part of the Bible. Now, there are three books in that series. Book one is The Flaming Blue Sword. Book two, Nine Months Will Tell. And the conclusion, which is book three, The Three Keys to Armageddon. And all of these books began and especially ended from all the notes written from Genesis 6. Wow, it seems like only yesterday we kicked off our second season, and here we are today, one episode away from the finale of the season, presenting to you from my notes when building the three novels mentioned with Who Were the Sons of God? This question comes from the Old Testament, and as you will find out, not from Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son. I will again preempt this broadcast by saying, I am not an ordained minister. I'm just a fun-loving novelist who interprets certain Bible scriptures to write many of my books, much like the journalists did when they were interpreting the scriptures for their front page newspaper articles during the Civil War. So today, strap yourself down, because we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 of Genesis in the Old Testament. I saved my most thought-provoking episode 
for almost last, and you will see why. I will do my very best to attempt an interpretation of the verses as I did when I was writing the final episode of my Storm Lord trilogy series, The Battle Scene. But today, we will tear apart these verses and see, just like our ancestors did in the Civil War in my Lincoln assassination series, how the North and how the South interpreted the scriptures totally different. So, my podcast today is to provoke thought and thought only. Genesis 6 speaks about the sons of God who saw the daughters of men and found them to be beautiful and kind and took them as their wives and married them. So, from this chapter, we will begin our interpretation and give you a lot to think about. The final chapter in my Storm Lord trilogy series has its dramatic conclusion from this interpretation. Did God have more than one son? Hmm, well, I'll answer that for you. Of course not. But if not, then who were the sons of God as discussed in Genesis 6? Well, my story is about to begin. And thanks, as always, for being here with me on my next to final episode of Season 2 on the Sydney St. James Show. So, let us begin. Let's not beat around the bush. Who were these sons of God that I spoke of in Genesis 6 that I mentioned in my opening narrative? Make note that I did not say son, but I said sons of God. And who were marrying men's daughters. First, let me interject a question to you. How many watched the final series of the movie Twilight, Breaking Dawn Part Two, or saw the great war movie called Pearl Harbor? I wanted an ending to my third novel, The Three Keys to Armageddon, that would have the same impact and I think I found it by tearing down these verses from the Bible. So let me ask you, who were these sons that I speak of? The sons of God are about the genealogical line of Seth, where we will continue in part two next week. But right now, Hold on just a second. Let's back up and clear this up just a little bit. Cain, of course, if you remember, the son of Adam and Eve, 
killed his own brother Abel. And once Abel had died, Adam and Eve got back together and had a sexual encounter. And Seth was born. I know what other encounters could they have had. But God did create them. So I wanted to make sure I pointed this out so it was clear. And he didn't create Seth. From then, Seth carried on afterward for many years. I mention all this to refresh your memory only. Now, follow me. Follow me on the first interpretation of the scripture. Now remember, the first time we interpret the scripture, it's reflection number one, right? So it says, the sons of God are the ancestors of Seth, who married other men's daughters, which is the ungodly line of Cain. Now, let's move on to another interpretation of these scriptures. The reference of sons of God refers to angels, cherubs, or angelic beings of some sort who married humans. Or the third interpretation, the sons of God are actually the heroes of a long, long time ago of the mythical past of great kings. So, now that I've given you what I think are the interpretations of these scriptures, let's again look at the exact wording in the Bible. Sons of God. These three words, sons in plural, appear several times in the Hebrew Bible. The first occurrence is when we first kicked off this podcast, which is in Genesis 6. Then the exact words are mentioned again in the introduction of the book of Job in the Bible. In that introduction, we see the first introduction of God getting together with his heavenly court, who were angels. And those angels were called the sons of God in this introduction. Then, Further into Job, we find God challenges Job and asks Job, where were you when I created the world? When God created the world, the sons of God sang with great joy. So the words in this scripture are obviously pointing at angelic beings, not at human beings. Then, the last occurrence. We find the words, sons of God, we have to open the book of Daniel. It reads like this. When the king looked into the furnace, he saw four people in there. It says the king said that one looked like it was a son of God. This would be just a guess that he meant a divine being, or in other words, an angelic being. Now that we have found the expression, son of God, or sons of God, 
it always refers to angelic beings. Now this was coming in handy as I was preparing to begin writing my paranormal romance. So let's right now go and speak about relationships, humans and God. Adam has a father-God relationship. Also, in God's covenant with David, the giant killer, and later King David, they have a father-son relationship. However, before you say aloud while listening that Sidney said Adam is a son of God, hmm, what I said was, it doesn't actually say anywhere in the Bible that Adam is a son of God. And it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that David was a son of God. So, unlike Jesus, the only time the expression is used, the son or the sons of God, it is apparent that it refers to angels. Now, let's go and jump out of the Old Testament for just a moment. Let's turn to pages 2 Peter, chapter 2. Peter is writing about how difficult the days ahead were going to be for the Christians. He said people will deny the truth about Jesus Christ and his work. And Peter went on and continued to say that there would be false teachers who would undoubtedly bring corruption into the church. In his scriptures, Peter appealed and said, God could deliver his people in more difficult times than the Old Testament. He will be able to do it again in the New Testament. Let's keep following what Peter was talking about. I hope I'm not confusing all of this for you, but interpreting the scriptures can sometimes be confusing. First, he talks about the story of Jonah, which I talked about on one of my earlier episodes in season one. Then he spoke about Lot being saved from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, everyone, pay close attention to Lot being saved. If God didn't spare the angels who sinned, and he delivered Jonah to a sandy beach from the mouth of a whale, he didn't spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he rescued Lot. Woo! Oh, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Then let us back up for just a second and dissect these statements I just made. When Peter is talking about the angels that sinned, obviously he is going all the way back and stopping at Genesis 6 because it is connected to the story of Jonah and the whale. Now, let me see what Jude has to say about the situation. There is a place in the scriptures where he talks about false teachers. He also reflects back on the Old Testament and how God delivered his people in earlier times. 
In the book of Jude, he talks about two different events. Okay, now this is where you hold on to your bootstraps. This is where it really starts to get good. In my novel, book three of the Storm Lord trilogy, it's called The Three Keys to Armageddon. It talks about all the fallen angels coming to help Satan and the good angels, Archangel Michael and Gabriel, coming down to help the humans. Oh, and yes, let's not forget the shapeshifters, the Black Panthers in the novel too. But in what Jude was talking about, he said there were angels who abandoned their dwelling place, their real home. And Jude also discusses Sodom and Gomorrah and his complete destruction. Let's halt for just a moment. What does the story in Genesis 6 have in common with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, let's say it as it is. There is a somewhat paranormal form of sexuality happening. But it doesn't matter what people there are listening to Peter or are listening to Jude. God will deliver his people in either case. Someone very close to me said that Jesus in the gospel says that the angels that live up in heaven never get married. Are they right? We go back to what I talked about initially. In my paranormal romance in the Storm Lord trilogy series, angels cannot have a physical relationship with a human woman unless you are the most nastiest or most evil angel of the Son of God. Now, I know what I've mentioned in this book several times only because I studied fallen angels and I studied Satan vigorously before writing it five years ago. But let me also say that the series is very romantically graphical and should only be read if this sort of narrative is not bothersome to you. But now that I've made my disclosures, <laughs> let's get back to what this person said. I thought about it a lot and decided, in my opinion, they were not quite reading the Gospels correctly. The Gospels are saying that in the resurrection, when Jesus returns at the end of all history, we will not marry because we will be like so many angels in heaven. Notice that when I say this, this is what Peter said. As far as Lot's words, he says the angels left their proper dwelling place so there is no contradiction whatsoever between other Gospels or Jude. Now, we know that the angels do not marry in heaven. In the book of Jude, we find that angels abandon their dwelling place and they go to commit strange immorality as seen in the last chapter of my novel, The Three Keys to Armageddon. Backing up now and kind of summarizing. Back in the Old Testament, 
we discover that these angels marry humans. Now, we find that in the book of Peter, in the book of Jude, we get our answer that is a correct interpretation. To thoroughly analyze these angels, we need to go to verse 4 in Genesis 6. It describes that the Nephilim were on the earth back in those days. It describes that the Nephilim were on the earth back in those days, and yes, they were there after the sons of God had a sexual relationship with human women and had many children. They were heroes from the long ago past. We have to stop. We have to stop just a moment and look at what is said in verse 4 regarding the Nephilim being on earth way back there. If we were to think about it for just a second, the verse says that the Nephilim were the children of the sons of God who married earthly women. Other verses give the Nephilim a reputation as being giants among men. But hold on a moment. The verses say the Nephilim were there before and after, which would mean before the angels came to earth and had sexual activity with human women. It could also mean that the Nephilim had nothing whatsoever to do with the fact that the angels had sex with human women, which is probably correct. Now, as I introduce these angels into my paranormal romance novels, I should say that nowhere in the scriptures does it say who the Nephilim really are. Why? Well, because they were already well known to the first people who ever read the scriptures. Now, in my notes for my story, I backed up a little bit and read Genesis 3. Again, Blaine was trying to emphasize that all evil in this world should be blamed on angelic sin. There was nothing in the scripture here that blames the corruption of human sin, but the Bible clearly blames the Husers. We live in a world that's troubled by chaos, troubled by death, by so much evil and so much sin, and gosh, just all sorts of corruption. This points back to when God made a covenant with the first humans in the world he created, and they broke that covenant. The early humans were unfaithful and cheated on God in their relationship, and they rebelled against him. If we go back to the book of Jude and look at how sin got into this world, we will see it again because of the human sins and the sins of angels. But before we go any further, let's hear a short 30-second break from my sponsor, who helps me pay the bills around this place. Then... In just a moment, we'll be right back with the rest of my story. Well, we are now back 
And now, let's continue with the rest of my story. While God created all that we know, and is told within the first book of the Bible, Genesis, one of his sons, Satan, got up into his face. He tried to turn other sons of God or angels to seek a will of their own, and lo and behold, he was successful. They are to this very day still known as the fallen ones. But why is there a Satan in the first place? Why does something exist whose name means accuser, a devil? which implies slanderer or deceiver of the entire world, as told in the Storm Lord Trilogy series on many occasions. Or someone called in Revelation a ruler of this world, a god of this age in 2 Corinthians, or a Beelzebul, the prince of demons, which is found in Matthew 12, verse 24. Where does he originate from? How did it come about that he ever sinned? The letters of Jude and Peter give us clues. In the book of Jude, it says this, The angels who did not stay within their own position of influence, but left their proper dwelling sitting on the right-hand side of God, he is kept in eternal chains under dismal darkness until the judgment of the great day. But to prepare for such a day, Satan prepares for the final battle of sin and evil over good. In the three keys to Armageddon, and Peter says, God didn't spare angels when they sinned cast them out into hell and committed them to the chains of dismal darkness to be kept all the way to the final judgment day. It seems then that some of God's holy angels, we may assume in principle that Satan is most definitely included in that bunch. Whether these verses refer to his original rebellion against his brothers, Archangel Michael and Archangel Gabriel, or maybe even a later one. Or just as Jude says, did not stay within their own position of authority. In other words, the sin was a kind of an insurrection, a growing desire for more dominance and more authority than they were appointed by God to ever have, where it is all brought to light in the final conclusion of my Storm Lord trilogy series. So, Satan himself and the many other fallen angels originate as created holy angels who protest against God, discard him as their all-satisfying king and set out on a course of sex assertion and presumed self-determination in a small little coastal village in Oregon known as Black Rock Cove. They don't want to be subordinate. 
They do not wish to be sent by God to serve others. They want to have the final authority over themselves. And they want to exalt themselves above God. I will not release a spoiler alert on the three books, but I will say this. Can Satan win knowing his brother's every move in the final exciting conclusion of the Storm Lord trilogy? Does Archangel Michael falling on his back and losing his great sword of defense a likely end of God's other angels who have not fallen from the grace of God? Who knows? Well, I suppose I better skedaddle out of here for today. It's amazing sometimes how much can come from such few scriptures of the Bible. Three entire books in the Storm Lord trilogy. I hope you enjoyed listening today and will share this show with your friends and your neighbors around the globe. Or, better yet, go and read the series and find out Do the fallen angels become superior to God's unfallen sons? Until we meet up next week for our final episode of the season, what can I say? See you later, alligator. Well, that does it for me for another great episode from Sydney St. James. Be sure to click on the tab above that says send a voice message and I will get it from you and I'll probably play it back on one of my future podcasts. Also, don't forget to click the button follow. I'd love for you to follow my podcast. But it's been fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, Here I am, Sydney St. James. Happy listening.